Yo, today's QOD is compound interest is neat stuff. Here we go. Quarter of the day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We got David Chilton, also known as the Wealthy Barber, on the show today. And you know what? Typically on Mondays, we do Motivation Monday, but today we're going to call it Money Monday because what he's going to talk about is one of those things that many adults, when we get late 30s, 40s, 50s, we say to ourselves, why didn't somebody teach me this when I was younger? Why didn't they teach this to me in school? Why didn't my parents teach me this? Because this very concept of compound interest can make a huge difference in your life. You know, last Christmas, I sent my nieces books on personal finance, and I sent them a text and I said to them, I wish I knew what's in this book when I was your age. Because if I would have started investing and putting away my money, even if it, was, if it was just a little bit, I would have an enormous amount of money now because of time, right? When you get in early, it pays off later on. When you get in late, it's not the same kind of return. So pay attention, listen and learn about compound interest. Share this with a younger person because it could make an enormous difference in their lives. David Chilton's coming up. All right. Ad hoc approach to saving obviously is inefficient. Budgeting doesn't tend to work. How do good savers save? Well, this sounds trite. It's old-fashioned. In fact, as a speaker, it's almost embarrassing pushing it every night. But pay yourself first, I would argue, remains the most important concept in all of financial planning. If you sit down with a 1,000 people who've come from modest income backgrounds and turn themselves into financial successes, I will guarantee you that will be the common denominator. They've taken the money off the top of the paycheck or directly out of their bank account before they had a chance to spend it. You can't spend what you can't see. My wife can, but the vast majority of people cannot, okay? I mean, the key is don't give yourself an opportunity to let human nature take over. Instead, force the discipline upon yourself with this type of technique. Force saving is key. Not only does it force you to save, hence the name, obviously, but perhaps just as important, it's relatively painless. It's truly amazing how little you miss money that never comes into your possession. Best example I've ever seen, my own parents. My father approached me about five years ago and said, look, I'm nearing retirement. Come on over to the house, sit down with your mother and I and give us a financial plan. Well, I went over, sat down, looked at their situation. They weren't saving a cent, nothing. They were putting no money aside whatsoever. As their heir, that bothered me greatly. Uh, I said, Dad, Dad, let's buckle down, okay? Uh, so they're, they're, they're setting aside uh, 12000 a month now and uh, <laughs> living in a tent, actually, and it's tough, very tough for the family, but it's working out. No, I had them set aside, I think, six, $700 a month, a lot of money, in fact, a quantum leap from zero, and they were very apprehensive. In fact, I think annoyed may be a more accurate adjective. My mother in particular, she said, this is a stupid idea. In fact, you're stupid. Let's get a real financial planner. Uh, I said, look, it, try it out. If it doesn't work, we'll make some changes. I went back a few months later. How's it going? Geez, I'd forgotten we were doing that. Now, these are intelligent people. Not only not missing the money, they've forgotten they're even doing it. And that's a very common response. 
When I was a broker, every young couple or young individual whom I dealt with, I set up on a save 10% program. 10% of his or her or their net income off the top of the paycheck dedicated toward long-term growth. I've not had one person over the years, not one, come back to me and say, do I ever miss the money? Am I ever pinched? What a change in my standard of living? It doesn't work that way. You'll make the adjustments. The bottom line is we all have to save for our retirements, for our futures. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. So what you try to do, of course, again, is the most efficient saving. In other words, the least painful saving. And that's what forced saving is. Again, pay yourself first. It is trite, but the most important words in all of financial planning. Now, what do you do with the money? Let's assume you are going to set aside, for example, 10% of your net income. How do you invest it? There are so many choices out there. Mutual funds, common stocks, paying off debt, and so on and so forth. However, regardless of the specific choice you make, your true objective anytime you set aside money is relatively straightforward, or at least it should be relatively straightforward. You're trying to take advantage of by far your most powerful ally, compound interest. Compound interest is neat stuff. Now, how does it work? Well, let me show you a couple specific examples. An 18-year-old invests a dollar a day until retirement at age 65. Not an onerous sacrifice, heck, a dollar a day. And averages a 15% per year return. Now, admittedly, 15% is exceptionally high. As you all know, current interest rates are dramatically lower than that. 15% is optimistic. Unrealistic, though, is really unfair as well, because although 15% is high for a good long-term growth-oriented vehicle, with long-term and growth-oriented being key parts of that expression, although optimistic, it is attainable. In fact, several good equity funds over the last 10, 15, 20 years have indeed performed to that level. What would this be worth down the road? Well, a dollar a day, obviously, is 365 a year times 47 years. That equals approximately $17,000. So throughout the entire working life of this individual, they set aside 17 grand. That's it. No pension contribution, didn't pay off debt, or they've done nothing right except this one very simple thing. What do they have at retirement? Depends on how you compound it, annually, semi-annually, or monthly. But to do it on the most conservative basis annually, they'd end up with about $2 million. Now, that's a lot of money. And it's a lot, a lot of money from doing only one thing right. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of money from doing only one small thing right. Now, I find as someone who teaches this example almost every night, you always get the same objection back from the audience. They say, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's neat stuff. Yeah, it's more than I thought it would be. But what's $2 million going to be worth 47 years from now? A lot. Uh, even after inflation, that's a lot of money. What's more, if you want to be truly mathematically fair and you want to factor inflation in, and you should, you've also got to factor it in right there on the dollar-a-day saving component. So as inflation raises your wages each and every year, your dollar-a-day saving component should rise accordingly. Therefore, the relevant final total with inflation factored in is not $2 million, but something substantially higher. And even when present value back to today's dollars, you're talking about an inordinate amount of money. Now, to prove my point and put this in perspective, let's go back 47 years. Had someone done this 47 years ago, they indeed would now have $2 million pre-tax. The problem is, 47 years ago, hey, a dollar a day was a lot of money. In fact, for the average high school teacher, it represented 30% of their gross income, pre-tax income. That's a tough, tough thing to save, okay? However, let's assume the teacher set aside 15% of his or her gross. 50 cents a day, $15 a month, and what's more, and this is very important, they'd never raise that amount. So even now making 50, 55,000 a year, they're still only setting aside $15 a month, a negligible sacrifice. How much would they have? One million pre-tax. And that's based on real numbers. You look at a guy like my father who started, say, or started teaching at a very young age, had he done this, I'd love him a lot more than I do right now. It's uh, <laughs> a lot of money. When I first wrote that joke, I felt very uncomfortable with it because my father and I are very close friends. And I said to my mom, you know, I don't know if I should say that. And she said, Heck, I'd love a lot more, too. So, uh, 
Now I just go with it. We're getting a little off topic here, but just a quick side story about this particular example. I've given this example for years and years. In fact, I used to give it to the teachers, and I would let them guess the final total. They'd always guess 100,000, 200,000, or 500,000, except the odd math teacher would guess uh, 50,000. And uh, <laughs> I'd say, no, the answer's too many. It was a good teaching technique. It elicited a good response. Well, I learned a lesson about that kind of maneuvering about three or four years ago. I was out in front of a large public gathering, six, 700, and I said, what do you think this will be worth? And a guy in the crowd puts his hand up and he says, 10 million. That kind of takes the fun of it for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> I said, no, no, it wouldn't be 10 million, it would only, it would only, uh, it, it would only be 2 million. <laughs> Everybody goes, big deal, all right? <laughs> they, they, they all wanted me to sit down and shut up and they want this guy to talk. Uh, so now I blurted it out before you guys can wreck my fun. A second example that I will admit is somewhat silly, nevertheless does illustrate the point quite effectively. When the Indians sold Manhattan to the Dutch, they got back $24 worth of beads. Now that's been called the worst deal in all of finance. However, had the Indians taken that $24 and invested it at 8% compounding annually, they'd have over $30 trillion. $30 trillion, that is a lot of money. If you take 30 trillion silver dollars and stack them on top of each other, they go to the moon and back. I made that up, but prove me wrong, all right? <laughs> all right, this final example is one I'm sure a lot of you have seen before. In fact, I think it's in half the financial planning books ever written, but it is the most effective example. There's something about it that people like and people tend to remember. Two 22-year-old twins open up a company, doesn't have a pension plan. Recognizing the importance of saving for retirement, they opt to open up a IRA. Great move, okay? The first twin, he's a good guy, very diligent, good saver, sets aside 2,000 a year for six years. 2,000 a year for six years. Then he gets married. <laughs> okay, and never saves another cent as long as he lives, which unfortunately is what a lot of us do. The second brother, on the other hand, did a little bit different. Six years, doesn't save anything, goes to university, gets himself a couple degrees, great stuff. And then for 37 consecutive years, he has the discipline and common sense to set aside 2,000 per annum. Very impressive record. Both brothers average 12% per year return, although that's not overly germane to this particular example. Age 65, out for dinner, second brother said, hey, have I ever done well? 37 consecutive years, I've set aside my money, very respectable rate of return, I've now got 1.2 million. The first brother said, is that ever strange? That's what I have. Those two things work out to be almost the exact same total. Now, a lot of times you come out to a TV show, you look at something like that and you go, yeah, 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 big deal. That is a big deal. In fact, it's a very, very big deal. In fact, I would argue if you teach your kids and grandkids only one thing about money, very good choice. Okay, there's never been a better example of two things. One, the power of compound interest, but two, the importance of starting to save now. The moral of this is not start when you're 22, because if you're 32, 42, 52, or 62, that's pretty tough to do. The moral is start right now. Without a doubt, the biggest enemy in financial planning is procrastination. People wait too long to get her going. Okay, look at this example closely. This guy set aside more than six times as much money. He saved for more than six times as many years. Those are huge differentials. Because he only started six years later, not a big difference on a 43-year time frame, they ended up with the exact same total. Okay, I mean, that is hard-hitting testimony to the advantage of starting now. That was David Chilton. His website is WealthyBarber.com. You can check out today's entire talk on YouTube. It is called The Wealthy Barber 1992 Financial VHS. As a matter of fact, just hit the link right now and open it up and just watch the whole thing. I think it's about an hour. You will learn a ton 
about personal finance. All right, that is it for me. Follow me on the Instagram at Sean Croxton, and I will see you tomorrow with Leo Buscalia. I'm out, peace. Thank you.